This is Pastor James Guyo, and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a Sovereign Grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com, to hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berean Sovereign, and you'll see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may he serve you for his sake, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of his gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come once again before your holy presence in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Mediator. Lord, we thank you for him. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for his finished work. Thank you, Lord, for this hope that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of truth, who leads us into all the things of Christ. And Lord, we beseech you for his help that he may show us how glorious Christ is. May he show us the works of Christ in the salvation of his people. And even more, Lord, we pray that you open the eyes of your people, that they may see Christ lifted up and them at the foot of the cross. We pray, Lord, that you cause us to decrease before him and for him to increase ever, always. We pray and we thank you for this word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 9. Verses 1 to 12. Looks like we never want to get out of the first four verses. John 9, verses 1 to 12. John 9, verse 1 to 12 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents? that he would be born blind. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors And those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, 
go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. And our sermon title is darkness or blindness. The new creation and the light. Blindness or darkness. The new creation and the light. And we'll begin by reading a lot of scriptures. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 5. In the beginning. And brother Luke. Genesis 1 is the first book of the Bible. Just checking. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. Genesis 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. You have the whole gospel in that. But John 1 verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. John 1. 9 to 10. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. John three nineteen. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and man loved the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 11, 8 to 10. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. John 12, 46. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. John wants us to know something about light. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> it, it, it really does sound like John really wants us to know something about light and about walking in darkness and our need of having this particular light, not just any kind of light. This light, this light of John has come to the world, to his 
old creation, to the fallen creation, to the wilderness of the old creation, to the darkness of this old creation, to the old creation that is now walking in darkness because of sin, death, and condemnation. That's the background. To a creation that was born in darkness and lives in darkness because of sin. This old creation, this fallen creation, has no light of its own to illuminate its own path back to God. And that is why we use kerosene or oil lamps because we can't see. We can't see by ourselves. If we don't have the light from the moon or the sun or these lights, it's darkness. Even with, with our own eyes, if we don't have light, our eyes don't work. They don't see. Why? Because we don't have light in ourselves. Jesus had light in himself, so it doesn't matter where you put him. There's always light where he is. There's always light. So men do not naturally see without light. Why? Because the natural condition of man, of all men, which is the natural condition of the world, is darkness. The moon does not have its own light. The natural condition of the moon is darkness. Whatever light the moon has is not its light. It's the light of the sun. So the gospel is the light of God. The gospel is the true light of God. Otherwise, left to ourselves, you and I are darkness dwellers with no light of our own. So the natural condition of this planet is darkness. And that is the spiritual condition of its inhabitants. You can't be one who loves darkness and be living in light. Cockroaches don't like light. As soon as you turn on the switch, guess what? They take off running. The hearts and minds of those born in this world are darkened because of sin and are not able to produce light of their own unless some external light, some light not of this world, comes to them. Some light from one who has light in himself. Some light not from some angels, but from the one who is light, who also created the light because he alone is able to change the light bulbs in the hearts of men because he installed them in the beginning. The best repair person of any equipment is the original manufacturer. And that is why when we buy our equipment, we buy refrigerators, whatever we buy, we want to extend the warranties of those things because we know the manufacturer is able to restore it whole. Hear me, I'm going somewhere. And this one, who was in the beginning with God, has come to his old fallen creation to recover it, to recreate it, and to provide illumination to them. Illumination that they may walk back to God. 
But this light is not just for illumination. It is also for blinding those who think they see in themselves like the Pharisees. If I have light, if you are in the dark, I can open the way to see for you the path that you are supposed to take. But if I put that light right in your eyes, that will blind you. And the gospel has the same effect. It brings light to those who are in darkness, but it also hardens those who do not think that they need the light. And that is why when Jesus came to his own creation, they did not receive him. They did not recognize the light that was in him. It was unfamiliar light. It exposed their evil deeds, and so they tried to extinguish it. But darkness could not overcome it. Don't have the Bible translation that says, and darkness did not understand it. That's not correct. That's not the correct Greek term. It's overcome. It's a military term of subduing and taking over and overcoming your enemy. So the proper translation has to say overcome. The darkness tried to subdue the light, to put it out, but to no avail. This light cannot be put out because it is not of this world. This light is false. It is light that is intrinsic to the nature of being. It can't be put out. It's not a candle light. It's not light from a kerosene lamp. No, it's light that is intrinsic to the nature of being. You can pour water on it. You can do whatever you want. You never extinguish it. The fire department can't extinguish it. <laughs> so this one who has come is the one who was in the beginning with God. He is the one who made the old creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So John is reworking the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. That's what he's doing. In the old creation, the heavens and the earth were made formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And then God said, do you see the first thing that God said to the old creation that was in darkness? And then God said, let there be light and there was light. And this, my friends, is how you came to Christ. He is the one who has to make the command. And say, let there be light in Brian. And there was light. And you believed. It is this same God who said, let there be light in the old creation who has visited his creation again to speak light to it. And say, let there be light in the hearts of his people. And this is the new creation. And Apostle Paul would later come and say in Second Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So spiritually, the old creation in fallen Adam is formless and void and darkness is all of it. I have to repeat that again. The old creation which means you before you came to Christ. This was your spiritual condition. The same condition as the heavens and the earth when they were first made. They were formless, void, 
and darkness was over the surface. So all those in the first Adam are formless, they are void, and they are in darkness. Which means what? Which means they lack holiness and righteousness. And if these who are spiritually formless, void, and are in darkness have to have some form, have to have some light, then the one who met them in the first place has to speak light again. He has to recreate. His old creation needs to be recreated. His old creation has to be born again. That's John's language of the new creation. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, you see, who were born, that's new creation. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Nicodemus, you must be born again because you are of the old creation. You are formless and void and are a darkness dweller. And that is why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. The theme of night and darkness is very prevalent in the teaching of John all the way to the cross. Can I see? And by the way, Nicodemus, to be born again does not mean that you enter into your mother's womb for the second time. Nicodemus says to Jesus, <laughs> how can these things be? Nicodemus, you must be born again from above, born again from the one who is from above. Born again by the same person who gave you the first birth as a human being. Not your mother, but born again when I have been lifted up. Born again. Born again in my labor on the cross. For no one is born without labor. There's no animal or anything that gives birth that does not go into labor. And so Jesus, when he went on the cross, he spoke as a woman who was in labor. As I like to say, the cross of Jesus was our delivery room. That's where God's people were born again. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Christ on the cross. When I have been lifted up, I shall remove the darkness that is over you. Darkness shall fall over me that I may remove it from you. The darkness that was on you fell on Christ. Nicodemus, you need to be born again of water and spirit because the flesh profits nothing. Anything that you do by yourself profits nothing before God. The water from my blood shed for you on the cross and born again of the Holy Spirit. You see, water is a fluid of birth. Blood is a fluid of birth. And we have that in Jesus. Nicodemus, you need a new mother. The one mother is not enough for you and you are too big anyway to enter back into her belly. Can't go back. Brother Robert, it's too late. <laughs> she conceived you in the darkness of sin and birthed you into darkness. You are born of flesh and the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. You need 
to be born again into a living hope. So this is where we are. One birth leads to two deaths. If you are born just one time by your mother, you're going to die twice. You're going to die sometime, I don't know when, but in this life, and then you're going to die again in the second resurrection. But if you are born twice, you only die once. The second death has no power over you. So that is why it's very important for you to be born twice now because anyone who is born twice now, the second death has no more power over them. Very important. So Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dark as a testimony of the darkness of the world and its religion. Nicodemus came as the best of the men of the world, the best that the world could give in self-righteous religion. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very educated man. His name was Nicodemus. And that's a Greek name for a Jew. It's only highly educated Jews who had Greek names and that actually identified with Greek names. Highly educated men. He was very rich, very powerful, and he was a Pharisee, so he was very self-righteous. He sat in the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body, almost like Congress. And because he was a religious man, he was very polite. Very, very polite. But Jesus was not impressed. <laughs> and that is the religion of man. And Jesus rebukes Nicodemus. When you read John chapter 3, it's very difficult to see why is Jesus almost sounding mean to a guy who came sounding like he was polite. And yet, with the Samaritan woman, Sister Sarah Samaritan, she represented the other side of darkness. She was in the darkness of her many husbands. In her seeking satisfaction in sensual things, but she still had no satisfaction until she met the seventh man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Remember, she had five husbands. You have had five husbands, and the one that you have is not your husband. So she has five husbands, and they live in, and she meets the seventh husband, the perfect man, and she's satisfied. Jesus has no problems with people and their sin. Jesus only has one problem with sinners, when they think they are righteous. That's the only problem. He never has any single problem with any person who confesses their sin. Not a single person. He is ready to welcome any who comes on the footing of their own sin. And saying, Jesus, this is all I have. <laughs> but the moment that you think you're righteous, all hell breaks loose. So the blind man in John 9 was born blind. You can tell that where we are by what we are talking about. So that tells you we are back in John 9. The blind man in John 9 was born blind in the darkness of his blindness, and that is the spiritual condition of all men, as I said. When Judas left the Lord and his disciples after the devil had entered him, do you know what John says? Judas left at night. John 13, 30. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Why would the Holy Spirit say that? Why not just say he went out immediately? 
John says, and it was night because it is his theme that is developing from John chapter 1 and the darkness did not comprehend it. Of the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the same John who wrote the book of John wrote the book of Revelation and he says in Revelation 21, 22 to 25, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the lamp are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamp is its light. (laughs) And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. This is the theology of John. He's the same one. He's still developing the same theology of night, darkness, spiritual blindness, and light. You see the contrast. And Christ is the bringer of this light. So night is a euphemism for all things associated with the fallen old creation. Because the heavenly Jerusalem, the holy city, there's no night there. Night is only in the fallen world. See the difference? No night there. So Jesus has come to remove the darkness from his people and to take it upon himself to swallow it up in victory because his light alone can swallow up darkness. And so to the question of his disciples, who sinned this man or his parents that he should be born blind? The answer is in the biggest cup of salvation. It is Adam who sinned that this man should be born blind. It is Adam of the old creation who sinned that this man should be born blind. But the darkness that came from Adam's sin did not just stop at Adam. It went all the way to all the descendants of Adam, including this man. But it was all to the glory of God that Christ may display his work of salvation on the man and all his people to God's glory. So the salvation of sinners exalts Christ, my brothers and sisters. It is a work of God's glory in Christ Jesus because God has determined to exalt his son. You can never mess up your salvation. Never. There is nothing. You have absolutely no power whatsoever to mess up your salvation. You can't do it. You can try all you want. He will kick you, but you will never be able to do it. Why? Because the glory of God is tied to it. It's God's glory. It's not about you at all. And because it's not about you, it does not depend on you to maintain it. It's God who maintains it. It's God who keeps you. And he will bring you to himself and say, look what I did. She was running away from me all her life, but look at it. She's here still. <laughs> When you are in Christ, you are like someone who is trying to run away when you are on a ship. You can run on the deck all you want, but the ship is going to take you where the ship is going. Or run in a plane. As long as you are not the one piloting the plane, guess what? You are going to find yourself where the pilot is is piloting the plane to. (laughs) So the plan of salvation did not come because of some accident in the Garden of Eden. 
God purposed the fall of Adam for his glory. God purposed your sin for your own salvation. It's beautiful if we understand what God is working. Hence, Jesus said, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him, and we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So people waste a lot of time, theological energy, debating on who caused sin, like these disciples were trying to do. Who caused sin? Who made this man blind? He made himself blind from his mother's belly. I'm like, dude, how does that happen? But Jesus says, no, friends. This is all for God's glory. Adam fell because of God's glory. But Jesus said, he had to work the works of him who sent him as long as it is day because night was coming and no one can work at night. No one can work at night. If you have to work at night, you need what? Light. So Jesus sounds like he knows what he's talking about, right? Why Jesus? Because while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But what are the works that he was sent to do? What are the works that Jesus was sent to do? Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's the work of Christ. But how was this to be done? It was through the cross. It was the cross that Jesus had on his mind because it is on the cross that the real darkness was coming onto him. The glory of God was going to be on display on the cross as he punished, judged, condemned Jesus because of our sin. Because of our sin. The darkness of God's judgment, his wrath was poured all of it on Christ. And God was satisfied by that work. And in the Old Testament, that satisfaction was shown by the ashes. Whoever tried to light a fire with ashes, you tried. Get some ashes and try to light them because fire is for judgment. And if you have ashes and you try to light them up, they don't light. And that was a picture of God's satisfaction with the work that he did on Christ. All God's wrath is spent. You cannot light it anymore. You tried. It cannot be lit by your own disobedience. It's impossible because it was all spent on Christ Jesus. So Christ is going onto the cross to be forsaken. It is in this darkness that he felt like he was sinking. It is he who said in Jonah 2, verse 3 to 7. Jonah was not talking about himself, by the way. That was Jesus talking. <laughs> Jonah 2, 3 to 7 says, I'm just going to read this. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and your breakers and billows passed over me, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. 
water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. That's Jesus. That's Jesus talking. The Lord willing, one of these days, we'll go back to Jonah chapter 2 and wake up some more theology from it. So whilst he was in the world, he was the light of the world. He provided spiritual illumination to a dark and fallen place. Light is, as I said, for removing blindness, but it is also for causing blindness, judicial hardening, and judgment. Because later Jesus is going to say, for judgment I came into the world. He is the light. How can the light be coming for judgment? So the light brings light and righteousness, but it also hardens to condemnation. But it is through the gospel that Jesus continues to provide spiritual illumination to those who are born in darkness. And the time is coming that the Lord shall remove the light of his gospel from this world and the world shall be plunged again into deep spiritual darkness. It's coming. And that is why the judgment that God brings upon a people is not giving them detectors or bed leaders, but removing the light of the gospel through false preachers of the gospel. Once you don't have the gospel, you have no hope whatsoever. The bed leaders, we can change them every four years or so. But with a false gospel, you are doomed for eternity. That's a worse judgment. You need the light of Christ to continue to be in the world. But there's more to the light. By saying he was the light of the world, Jesus was talking about the tabernacle. He was talking about the menorah, the only light that was in the tabernacle that was kept burning. And it was this light alone that the high priest used to make entrance into the holy of holies to go into the presence of God. And so Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. He is saying he is the only light by which God can be seen and be approached. He's the only light. He is the only means by which you ever meet with God in peace. Exodus 27, 20 to 21. We have a big problem. The name of our church is Berean. So I just can't say things without showing them to you in the text. And that's why our sermons are long. Because I could easily just run through them and just leave you with some things that you can't prove. But we have to go and I'll show you where I'm getting the understanding. And those who care for the truth appreciate that. Exodus 27, 20 to 21 says, You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a perpetual statute through their generations for the sons of Israel. 
If you go and read in the Old Testament, you're going to get more understanding of that. The lamp had to burn from evening to morning. What does that mean? It means during the time of darkness. Don't miss that. That is what provided light for the priests to approach God. And Jesus comes and is claiming also to be that light. But this one is not a lamp, but light that cannot be extinguished. This one is not light only for the Jews, but it is for the world. It's not just for the Jews alone, but it's for all those from every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. That's what John is saying by his term, the world. He's not saying everyone in the world. No, no, <laughs> that's not what he's saying. And so all those who desire to approach God have to approach him in this light and with this light. And that is why it is impossible to speak of any other religion that takes you to God outside Jesus Christ. There's no other religion that takes you to God outside Jesus Christ because he claims to be the only light. But this light shall not always be in the world. It shall be removed after he has recovered all his people with that light. Remember the parable of the lost coin. The woman looked for her lost coin with her light because it was dark in the room. And that light was the gospel. And without the light, no man, without the light of Christ, without the light of the gospel, no man can come to Christ and be saved. God has to bring the light to you. He has to bring the light to you. And this light has come to this blind man who was born blind. This man who is in darkness to provide him with some light by which his eyes could be opened and see God. His eyes, when they were opened, initially he didn't know who had opened his eyes. He didn't know the true identity of Christ. But later on in the conversation, as we will discover in the days to come, he gave a confession of who Christ was. The man does not know who God is because he is blind. His physical blindness is a type of our spiritual blindness. Spiritually, we are not able to see anything just as a blind person cannot watch TV. They're not going to say, oh, I'm going to get me some direct TV and watch the Super Bowl. It's not going to happen. Why? Because they're blind. And that is the condition of the old creation, the fallen creation. But Jesus comes to this man because Jesus knows this man. He is one of his that were given to him by the Father. He recognized him and knows that he was born blind from birth. That's how they knew. It's Jesus who knew. He was born blind from birth. That means complete blindness. That is a complete sinner, not a pretend sinner like many people who just make mistakes. It's very purposeful. Blind from birth is God communicating the condition of man right from birth. In Luke 5, we are told of the leper who was full of leprosy. That is covered in leprosy from head to toe. And that means fully covered in sin. Because leprosy is a type of sin. And this man was born blind to say he too was a picture of the full coverage of sin that all who are in Adam are under. 
Jesus does not heal those with partial blindness or those who only have leprosy on the right ear or on their foot. Those who can still see and still have some paths that are clean. The gospel is only for those who have full blindness, full leprosy, and that means no righteousness in themselves whatsoever. Why? Because Jesus does not give a half cure for those with just minor blemishes. It is either he heals the whole sick person or he does not. It is either his righteousness alone or nothing. He serves all by himself or he doesn't do it at all. Here, the healing of the blind man. Jesus did something peculiar. Apparently, as this conversation was going on, they had the blind man with them. Because we are told in verse 6 and 7, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sand. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. He went away and washed and came back seeing. And Jesus has done this before. And I'm going to read this to you because I think it's important. Mark 8, verse 22 to 25. And they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and began to see everything clearly. When you come to Christ, you may see men like trees walking around. You may not have very clear vision of the gospel. You may not have the clarity. You may not have it. But what matters is you are connected to the one who is clear, Jesus Christ. Okay, And he will, over time, continue to teach you that the fullness of Christ will be formed until we are formed to the full stature of Christ. Mark 7, 31-35 says, Again he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. The other person started to see clearly, and this guy started to speak plainly. After Jesus had healed both of them, they began to see everything clearly, 2020 vision, and to speak plainly. That is all speaking to complete salvation. Complete salvation. But why the spitting Jesus? Because in 21st century America, that would be gross. That's gross Jesus. Why, why don't you just, you speak it. Why the spitting? This is my theological speculation. Spitting in many Eastern cultures, even to date, is a sign of despising someone. To say that you are nothing. 
if I'm really mad at you, I'll just call your name and spit. That's what they do in Venezuela. It's despising, they're despising you. Hear this. Jesus uses his spittle to heal his creation. To heal his creation this way to show that it was only by grace that he was doing it. He was not under obligation to heal them because they were nothing. They were nothing as the dust of the ground. They were as nothing as the spittle. But he healed them anyway. But remember John's opening. I'm going to connect this. John's opening in John chapter 1. John tells us that Jesus is God. He is the one who created all things. All things were created through him. In the old creation, darkness was removed by the command of God, let there be light, and there was light. In the new creation, darkness is removed by the same person and by the same command, let there be light. Adam was made from the dust. A man of the dust. And Jesus is saying to the man of the dust, you are a man of the dust. This is the new creation for you, man of the dust. The man of the dust has no righteousness and is nothing before God because he is earthy. All men are men of the dust and have nothing but dust to bring to God. But Jesus has come for the rebirth of his people and for a new beginning. Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away and all things are new. And so Jesus said to the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back saying, do not miss this. Jesus said, he has to do the works of him who sent him. And now he is sending this man to wash in the pool. Apparently this man knew where the pool was. Or he has someone who helped him to get there. We don't know. But see this. That the man did not question or try to argue with Jesus. And say, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Why am I going to wash in the pool? I'm still blind. Doesn't that sound like the lepers? You go show yourself to the priest. I'm like, Jesus, we are still unclean. How can we go and show the, ourselves to the priest? Go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And when he went, he washed and he received his sight. This man obeyed the command of Jesus because he was a disciple of Jesus. This was a show of true discipleship at the command of Jesus in contrast to the Pharisees that Jesus is going to be working with through the man. Because the man is going to be having a lot of conversation with the Pharisees. The Pharisees do not obey. They are not true disciples of Jesus. But this man, just one command, he obeys. See the contrast. That's the effect of the light. The light is shone on the man. He obeys. The light is going to hide in the Pharisees. And they're going to be causing trouble. The man went to the pool and washed and came back seeing. What healed the man? The spittle? No. The clay? No. The water in the pool? No. So why send him there? The water did not heal the man. The spittle did not heal the man. The clay did not heal the man. 
So who healed the man? It's Jesus Christ who healed the man. It's Christ who healed the man. How? By faith. That's the only way he does it. So the man being sent to the pool was just a demonstration of the faith that obeys Jesus. He obeyed the command of Christ. And that was enough for his salvation. Faith alone was enough for his salvation. So the command of the gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he shall be saved. And that's all there is to it. That's simple. Oh, no, there has to be something for me to do. You have to tell me something. There has to be something that I need to do. No. You go and wash in the pool of Siloam and you will see. Your eyes will be opened. So what is all this about? It is about showing that Jesus Christ is God who has come to restore his old creation. Jesus is preaching the gospel of grace. But here the reaction of those who were still in darkness to the healing. Those who were in darkness. Verse 8 and 9. Remember we read verse 1 to 12 and we are in verse 8 and 9. So you know where we are. Here the reaction of those who were still in darkness to the healing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So John tells us that the neighbors and those who previously saw the man who used to know the man as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Yes, these are they who used to know his old ways. There are a lot of people, historians, they know a lot of things about you. Is this not the one who used to? (laughs) They previously saw him as a beggar, but he was not a beggar anymore. They saw him as the blind man, but he was not blind anymore. Why is he not a blind beggar anymore? Because Christ is the end of begging for all those blind beggars who believe. Jesus Christ is the end of begging for all those blind beggars who believe. Because his sufficiency was now in Christ. For him, Christ is all and he now is complete in Christ. He's complete in Christ. What is that saying? It is saying any who have to approach Christ to receive his blessing have to approach him as blind beggars. That is a condition of salvation. It's a condition that God creates in his people. He causes you to be a blind beggar. And a beggar is one who lives by the grace and mercy of others. If you are a blind beggar, you sit in your corner all day. You just be begging. And whatever you get is by grace. Because no one was compelled by your merit to give you anything. You are just some blind beggar in the corner. So if anyone would come to Christ, they have to understand the terms of salvation. They are beggars and they come as those who are blind with no sight or light of their own, but that which Christ provides himself. If you think you have ability to come to Christ by yourself, 
then you are still not a beggar and you certainly are not blind. Jesus does not heal those whose eyes are not blind. Jesus does not set free those who are not beggars. But you do not make yourself blind or a beggar. Don't go poke your eyes. Don't go begging to buy a new iPhone. Begging but connected. (laughs) You don't make yourself blind or a beggar. It is he who makes you a blind beggar. That the works of God may be displayed in you. In your salvation. In the opening of your eyes. Do you see that? It is by his spirit that you are made to realize that you are a blind beggar stripped of all merit and dignity by sin. So you see the function of sin. Sin is there to show you that there's nothing good in you. So the law comes and says, guess what? You're a leper. You are a leper full of leprosy. Stand far off from me. (laughs) And such Christ is pleased to restore their sight. Jesus Christ is for the ungodly and those without strength. If you think you are ungodly, Jesus is for you, as I said. He never turns away any who is a beggar. Never. Any who is blind. Never. Anyone who comes asking, begging for mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. Call him. (laughs) Excellent stuff. And some people are too strong for Jesus. But the Bible says, whilst we were without strength, Christ died for us. And if you have strength, Jesus can't help you because his power is made strong in weakness. Don't be strong for Jesus. I am being strong for Jesus. No, I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may be made strong in me. In salvation. It matters, friends, what you think of Christ and who you are. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in your own blindness or in your begging? Or is it in your ability to see Jesus by yourself? Because Jesus is going to say later in John 9, 39 to 41, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see And that those who see may become blind. So you see the effect of the light. Those who don't see are given eyes to see. Those who think they see, they are made blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus, what are you talking about? You are talking about us. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. Jesus said, If you were blind, if you acknowledged your blindness, you'd have no sin. Not that you are not a sinner, but Jesus says, I would declare you righteous before God. But since you say, we see your sin remains. You have ability to save yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. So I'm going to leave you to your own sin. And see what happens. So then, pray that the Lord would make you blind to your own sight, to your own strength, And your own self-righteousness. Be blind. That you may see Christ. And when Apostle Paul was made blind. Guess what he saw? He saw nothing but Christ. (laughs) Saw nothing but Christ. He was blind to everything. But he could see Christ. (laughs) That's the gospel. But let us continue with the reaction of those who saw the man made well. It's going to be good. It's long but it's good. 
Don't get tired of hearing Christ. I'm telling you. Don't get tired. <laughs> they could have been saying, is this not the one who aborted five children? Is this not the one who had five husbands and living? Is this not the one who used to steal and rob? Is this not the one who used to blaspheme the name of Christ? Is this not the one who never used to care for the things of Christ? They are trying to tie you to some old sin. People always do that. You can't be saved because after all, remember what you did. Is this not the one who used to do all these things? Some want to tie him to his old identity and others see that he is the new man. The new man in Christ. The new man in Christ. The first group of his neighbors identify in disbelief. They identify the man in disbelief that this man who used to sit and beg, they know exactly his previous occupation. Sitting and begging. <laughs> they are saying, we know you so well that your previous occupation was sitting and begging. They know that. But guess what? This blind man had his theology of salvation right. It sounds like the blind man had read the book of Romans already. Listen to Romans 4, verse 4 and 5. Now to the one who works. <laughs> his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. The blind man was not working. He sat and begged. My friends, that is the approach to salvation. Salvation is only for those who sit and beg Christ. Those who are blind in themselves, but seek the light of Christ. These who sit and beg have no merit in themselves. They just sit and beg. And people don't like that. People don't like that. People don't like those who profess their salvation is by sitting and begging. They want it to work. <laughs> sitting and begging is salvation by grace alone. Tell people that salvation is about sitting. Just sit and beg. And they'll go crazy. You have to give me something to do. <laughs> and everybody who hears that, who say, oh, no, that is bad for the economy. It's bad for the economy. That is being lazy. But spiritually, that is how God works. It is only those who sit and beg that receive the righteousness of Christ, which is by faith alone. There were a lot of able-bodied people around this place who had all kinds of minor infirmities. Jesus did not heal them. But he went for the guy whose occupation was sitting and begging. Sitting and begging. Why? Because sitting and begging is consistent with how God saves sinners. You bring nothing to him. The blind man, by grace, sounds like he had read the book of Galatians 2. Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus 
so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But how? By sitting and begging. Just sit and you beg. Just being lazy. Laziness is the only virtue that God owns when it comes to salvation. That's the only thing that he honors. And we're not talking about stopping working. No, no, no. We're not talking about that. <laughs> we are talking about salvation. That in salvation, God does not honor your work. He only honors the work of his son. So you only come to him as a beggar, blind beggar, just sitting and begging and singing. <laughs> Verse 9. Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Very interesting. What is happening? The identity of the man is now in contention. As soon as Jesus shows up, the identity of the man is in contention. As soon as you believed in Christ, you started to see a lot of things happening. A lot of things. Let's keep developing this. When you have been born of Christ, people get confused about your identity. They see the old you, but with a new identity. They recognize you, but they see that you have changed in many ways because of Christ. But some think you are the old you, but under a new identity. The old you under a new identity. They recognize you, but they see that you have changed in many ways because of Christ. But some think you are the old you, and others say you just look like the old you. No, but if, no, but he is like him. You still retain some of the characteristics of the old you, but under the new identity. You are not blind. You are not a beggar anymore. But the man kept saying, I am the one. You see, the man affirms that it truly is he who used to sit and beg. And truly it is he who now sees. Everything is true about him. But he does not beg anymore. Both are true of the man. The man is now in union with Christ. He has assumed his new identity in Christ. He has eyes to see and he walks as one who has vision. But he is still recognizable as the one who used to sit and beg. The believer has the new identity in Christ. But there are still some recognizable remnants of the old walk. You hear me? Old influences. Some old habits of sin. And that is why the exhortation to keep walking in the new light, to put off the old man and put on the new man. Why? Because of that testimony. Because if the man had been completely transformed, none of them would have been able to identify him. They would not have been able to identify him. This kind of theology is very hard to extract. The Lord has given you to see that. I still struggle with my old things. There's some things that are more prominent than others. I can still recognize myself in those things. But in many ways, I also recognize that I am the new man. I'm not begging and I am not blind anymore. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? 
He said, I do not know. And now the people were curious to know how he had his eyes opened. If you are the blind man who used to sit and beg, then how then were your eyes opened? That is a good question. How did you come to Christ is the question. How then were your eyes opened? Because that's an impossible work. No man can do that. How then were you able to see? How did you receive your sight? How did you receive the testimony of Christ? Something impossible has happened to this man and transformed his life. And in our day and time, the answer would be, I walked the aisle. (laughs) I invited Jesus into my heart. I made him Lord and Savior. (laughs) But listen to the theology of the man. The man who is called Jesus made clay. He gives all the work to the man called Jesus. The man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, it's all Jesus doing it. Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight just as he has said. So it's the man called Jesus who caused you to see. It's the man called Jesus who caused you to believe the gospel. Apparently, the man knew that the person who healed him was called Jesus. But he did not know the full identity of Jesus at this time until later when Jesus came back to him. But the man repeated the formula of how he was healed to those who were questioning him. The man received sight by the healing and command of Jesus. And that is the only way that a man born blind like you and I can have their darkness removed. The man was saying Jesus removed his darkness from him. And gave him his sight. Why? Because why? while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We are almost finishing. I need a few more minutes. So Jesus has just applied his claim of being the light of the world. By removing the blindness from this man. And the people interrogate the man about the whereabouts of Jesus. And say, where is he? But the man said, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly right. The man cannot tell where Jesus is unless Jesus decides to show himself, which he did. So what are we saying? What are we saying? We are saying salvation is the work of God alone. It is the work of the new creation by the one who first made the old creation. He who first said, let there be light to remove the darkness from the old creation is he who has come and say, let there be light In his new creation. To remove the spiritual blindness. And darkness of those. Who were born blind from birth. And that is you and I. You must be born again. Is a condition of life. In the new creation. The gospel creation. It is not saying you have power to cause it. No it is saying. God alone. Has to do it. And he does it. Whenever he wants. It is saying. One needs a new birth that is from heaven to enter heaven. To see or receive Jesus Christ. To see the light in Christ. To believe the gospel. The work of salvation proves that Jesus Christ is God. Because God alone is the light of the world. God alone has the power to create and to recreate. Man can transform things That have already been made, but they can't make anything new from nothing. Jesus is the bringer 
of this light of God into this new creation, into this work of creating good wine from water. That's why that miracle was recorded right at the beginning of the book of John because it is saying this is the work of the new creation, water into wine. This is the beginning of the new age. The miracle of water into wine was an inauguration of the new creation of the wedding feast of the Lamb of God and his bride, always and forever serving the good wine to the end. Jesus is he who opens the eyes of the blind. The blind who were dying in the darkness of this fallen and sinful world. If any be not in Jesus, they are walking in darkness. But Jesus comes for his elect so as to give them his light. That by it they may approach God. The elect of Christ do not walk in the darkness because they have Christ as their light. The elect know the way to God because Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And they are always in him and they walk with him. But there is none who come to Christ by themselves. It is Jesus who came to where the blind beggar was. And it is true with all who come to Christ. If Christ has to come to a man, they have to be spiritually blind and they have to be beggars. A blind man cannot open their own eyes. It is impossible. It is the work of the Messiah to open the eyes of the blind. And one cannot have faith in Christ unless he has come and opened their eyes. A blind person can only sit and beg and wait on Jesus. They can't go anywhere. They become a fixture in their occupation of sin. All men born in Adam are fixtures in their sin and are helpless unless Jesus shows up. What is salvation? Salvation is when Jesus shows up. That's it. Salvation is when Jesus shows up. If Jesus shows up for you, you shall surely be saved. What is your prayer in mind for Jesus to show up? If Jesus show up, your testimony and identity have to change. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Yes and no. <laughs> I am the man who used to sit and beg, but I am not that man anymore. I do not sit and beg anymore because Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Jesus is my all and in all. All my sufficiency is in him. So my brothers and sisters, it is not a list of rules that stop the man from begging. I'm sure there were many people who were annoyed by him and were tired of seeing him begging. And if they could, they would have wanted Jerusalem officials to enact some rules or ordinances on where beggars could sit daily to beg. They could have written a hundred or thousand rules, but the man could only stop begging and be changed when Jesus showed up. It doesn't matter what rules men give you. As long as Jesus hasn't showed up, you're not going to change a man. I can't change you, and no man can change you. I can tell you a lot of very good and useful things to make you better, to make your marriage better, to make things better. But Jesus still has to show up for you. And when he does, you will not be the same again. 
that is how this thing of salvation works. So who sinned this man or his parents that he should be born blind? It was neither this man or his parents who sinned, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that is our gospel. Amen. We are done. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne as those who used to sit and beg. But your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, showed up and he anointed our eyes. And he sent us to the pool to wash. And we received our sight. And now we can see plainly. And we can speak clearly. And we can hear clearly. Because Christ has healed us by his gospel. Lord, I pray for your people whom we have gathered here. We have said a lot of things. But the gospel is to a very simple message. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And we pray, Lord, that the Lord would show up to his people and heal them in spite of themselves, in spite of their many sins, but for your glory and his glory. Lord, we just pray for your church. We pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you keep it. May you sanctify it by the preaching of your gospel. Lord, we pray for this country. We pray for the leaders, the governors and presidents, all who make decisions. Pray for everything that is happening with the election cycle. Lord, we, you already know whom we have appointed. And we just pray that you grant peace during this time and that everything will go well as it has done before. But everything is going according to your purpose. So Lord, we just thank you again for keeping us and we pray that you gather us back here again the following week. Be with us in our going in and out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.